0: Good morning, you guys look great this morning, good to see everybody everybody out there. I was sitting there a few moments ago thinking how blessed we are as a people uh, for some of the people in our life, and uh, Joanne, I was just thinking what a treasure you are to us, what a blessing you are to us, and uh, I appreciate Joanne. Uh, She always blesses me and and stretches me, and uh, I I really appreciate that, and and what an awesome communion meditation, Um, that was incredible. Welcome today, I'm glad you've joined us, and if you're joining us online, uh, we hope that uh, you will hang in there with us and uh, just truly worship, but it is great to see everybody who's here in person as well. Uh, Let me ask you this question, you don't have to show of hands or anything, but maybe it'll help us to kind of get started this morning. The question is, how many of us have had friends who were not believers that you never shared Jesus with? and who are no longer in your life. Maybe you're not friends anymore, or you're not close friends anymore. Maybe that person moved away, or perhaps they passed away. Maybe you always planned to talk to them. You always, you knew you ought to, and you wondered about them, but the opportunity never really happened. Or maybe it never even occurred to you that you should talk about your faith, and now it's too late. It's too late because they aren't in your life, because you're not, Close anymore, or because they have died and they are lost for eternity. Now, I gotta be that's a heavy question, I know that, and we don't think about that very often, and we don't really want to think about that, to be honest with you, but to me, this is one of the most legitimate regrets that we could ever have in life. Several years ago, I heard this poem. You know me, I'm not a big poetry guy, so I don't lay it on you much, but this one it just sticks in my mind, and I wanna share it with you a little bit. Uh, because it sure has impacted me. Uh, Here it goes. Around the corner, I have a friend in this great world that has no end, and he has lost, this fine young man, and I always plan to speak to him about God's love and Christ who came down from above and how he died on the cross to pay the sinner's debt with love. I think each day, somehow, I must speak to Jim. Tomorrow comes and brings its cares "'Clutters my days with busy affairs. "'Soon the day is gone, and again I vow tomorrow "'I must speak to Jim somehow. "'See, my friend is lost, and he does not know the peril he risks, "'that he cannot go on day after day like this, "'and die before I tell him how to give his life to Christ "'and receive his power. "'But tomorrow comes and goes, "'and the distance between me and Jim grows, "'and then one day, years and miles away, I get the message, Jim died today. While I delayed, thus came the end. Jim's soul was lost, and Christ lost a potential friend. That poem bears on my mind a lot. I think of it probably more than I do any other poem for sure. But a series we began a few weeks ago, or last week actually, called No Regrets. And I introduced a question to you. What if we could live our lives in such a way that when we die, we and everyone around us could say... That we have no regrets. No regrets. Last week, we talked specifically about life, about living life in a way, hopefully, that will allow us to live in the moment without regrets, but also at the end of the day, the end of our life, we could say we have no regrets. And the reality is that all of us could look back in our life and say, well, I would do some things differently if we had them to do over again. But I believe that by far the things that we will regret the most are the things we didn't do the things, the paths we didn't take, the people we didn't touch. And there is no greater regret than the one that deals with a person's eternity, our own eternity or that of someone that we care about. Here's the reality of it. Whenever we die or whenever Christ returns, one or the other, our world will come to a screeching halt. And along with that end will come all opportunities to give our life to Jesus Christ. You see, whenever we die, we, I believe, have a conscious awareness of eternity. The person who never thinks about it. I had a a conversation with someone I care about a few weeks ago, and I said, do you ever think about death? He said, nope, never think about it. And that bothered me because I'm not sure he was being truthful with me about it. But I think all of us, at that point at least, will have a conscious awareness of eternity And we will know what our destiny will be at that point. And there will not be any further opportunities to give our life to Christ and escape hell. And I believe at that day, on that moment, there will be mountains of regret. I think there will be a terrifying regret. There are many people who will regret their lifestyle, their choices, the opportunities they may have known to know more about Christ, to hear about him, to make a decision for him. And the future, the failure of maybe following through on a decision they made at some point for Christ because they would admit they have no relationship with Him. But I believe also there will be a lot of us as Christians who will have regrets as well as we see friends and loved ones that we have known and that we have had many, many opportunities with that we never took who are lost but who have no hope and realize that we could have spared them the, the regret and the agony of hell. We could have told them about Jesus at some point, any point in life, and at least would have given them the opportunity to accept him. And you know, I'm like you. We have plenty of our excuses. Believe me. We're busy. They're busy. Hey, they never asked, never thought about it, you know. They probably wouldn't have responded anyway. But the bottom line is that they are lost for eternity, and very possibly we could have prevented that. See, here's the truth that we sometimes forget in the middle of life and living, that God's the giver of all human life, and that with that life comes an eternal soul. It's not just the moments we spend here on this earth. Many people believe that. That's a hopeless way to live anyway, but there is something far beyond that, and you've heard me say it before, that this life, even a long life, is a blip on the timeline of eternity. There's much more beyond our death than there is what we live here on this earth. And God has given every person who has conceived a soul that is valuable. He values that. We should value that. Every person is valuable. Every soul valuable. And God desperately wants them to be with him in eternity. But he also tells us clearly that the only way to do that is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father. And he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we ask, what is the will of God in this area specifically? 2 Peter chapter 3 says, specifically, God's will is that no one would perish, but that everyone would come to repentance and be saved. So every soul that is ever conceived and ever born and every individual, no matter what kind of life they live, good or bad, God values and God longs for that person to come to him at some point. But God has entrusted the message of salvation to those who know the message. That's us guys. And then he commands us to share our faith with them. So if there's anything to take home with you, this is a simple phrase, those who know must tell. Those who know must tell, because those who don't know, obviously, they could go into eternity never knowing. You know, I also love, one of, one of the scriptures I love about this is in the book of Ezekiel, and we don't dive into the Old Testament a great deal, but I want to tell you, this is a powerful text. It just bears on my mind a lot. But we find a, a powerful account to emphasize the accountability and responsibility of Christians. And it's kind of a a, a mental picture, I I, I picture it that way, Uh, in that day uh, of what life was like and safety and danger. In that day, cities were walled around out uh, to protect the people from invaders. They They didn't have highways going into them like we do today. They were walled around. Only the people who lived in the city really had the right to go inside the city or around the city. And they were walled around it, and people would oftentimes work outside the safety of those walls. And so to protect the people, they would have a system of, of watch, uh, watchmen, uh, of guards. The first element of, of safety or defense was a watchman who would stand guard in a tower that was located on the wall. So there would be the wall, and then at each corner probably would be a watchtower. And this guy was assigned this responsibility, and he was to stay alert. He was to watch the surrounding fields, the forest, and the hills for enemy movement, And the watchman was someone that was a part of them, where they were family, they were neighbors, they were community, they were known and trusted, and they had a personal interest in the safety of the city. And the watchman was accountable to his people, he had to answer to them at the end of the day. But he was to constantly be alert, he was to be uh, aware, and at the first sign of danger, he was to sound a trumpet of warning and the trumpet would go out across the land. It would alert and mobilize the army. Those who were outside the walls would rush into safety. The gates would close. The city would prepare to defend itself against the enemy. Now, that was kind of the setup to the scripture that we read here in Ezekiel chapter 33. And God says, Ezekiel, I have called you to be a prophet or a watchman for the people of Israel. Let's read it together, Ezekiel 33. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, when I bring the sword against the land, and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman. And he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people. Then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have had saved themselves. But the watchman sees the sword coming and does, excuse me, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life shall be ta- will be taken because of their sin, but I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood." Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, "Wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, that wicked person will die for their sin and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do, do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways and do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved." These are powerful words, and they were written a long time ago to a man named Ezekiel, but the words are every bit as relevant today as when they were written, because I hope you see that he's not just talking about a watchman, a literal guy on a wall warning someone in danger from an invader. It's obvious that this has much deeper implications about salvation and about a person be warned about being lost. I believe these words are directed to us today as well, because God has made you and I watchmen for our country. We didn't volunteer for it. We don't want the responsibility like a lot of people don't, but the reality is that by our knowledge, by virtue of what we know and what we experienced, we are accountable, we are responsible, and we are called by God. God. We are watchmen because we, like Ezekiel in our day, we know and we love the Lord, and we have His truth, His word of truth, and we need to be sharing with people who do not know it. We need to be warning them about the danger. And I think that's the huge thing that we don't think about today. In our world, we, we, we want to be okay. We want everybody, we want to think everybody's okay. But the reality is we're not really honest with ourselves about this. We either don't believe what we say we believe or we're not honest with ourselves about the reality of that truth. In any way, in any any case, we need to make sure that we are warning people. And I think there are three reasons that we ought to warn people about the, the danger of their sin and of being lost. First of all, we need to warn them for their own sake, for their own sake. You see, people who are outside of Christ do not realize the danger that they're in. Most people don't walk around thinking, well, I don't know the Lord. If I died today, I I wouldn't be in heaven. I would go to hell. People don't think that and reason that. I don't believe very often. They don't realize the danger. And so that calls to those of us who know the danger to let them know about that. What, What would you do if you saw a person step out into the road and you saw a truck that was coming toward them? I mean, what would you do? Or perhaps you saw someone reach for a hot electrical wire Or some other danger that they were reaching for that they didn't know about. I hope you would alert them. I hope you would say, hey, hey, hang on, hang on just a second, step back. You would warn them. Well, how much more so should someone be warned if it's not just a physical danger, but also a spiritual danger? Something that doesn't just take their life for the moment or or, or make them or hurt them in some way, but a danger that would ultimately threaten their soul. Hebrews chapter 10 says, How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now you might say, well, the people I know are not the people who have trampled the Son of God underfoot and have treated him unholy. They're good people. But the reality is, at the end of the day, there are saved people and there are lost people. And saved people are those who have given their life to Jesus Christ, and everybody else would fall into the other camp. And God promises that not only is he a loving God, he is a judging God and even a avenging God. See, Jesus came down with mercy and compassion, we're living in the days, those days right now, he came to save those who are lost. He did everything he could. And the end of Jesus' life, he, like we want to be, could look back and have no regrets. No regrets. Think about that. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying, there is no regret. I did everything I was called to do. Everything I was asked to do, everything I knew to do, I did that. And in this series, we've been trying to say, wouldn't it be great if we could live life like that? In this one area, I know that we're one day going to regret the fact we didn't share Jesus with somebody. We have this duty and we have a responsibility. You know, the book of Jude is a short book But it tells us that we need to do everything that's necessary to win the lost. And and there in verse 22 and 23, it says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear. What is Jude saying? He's saying it's so important that you just pull out the stops. Whatever it is, reasoning, mercy, compassion, fear, whatever it takes to convince them to come to Jesus because it's just that important. See, your friend doesn't understand the danger that they're in, and they need to be made aware. And you, by virtue of your relationship, the trust that they have in you because you know them and you care about them and they know you and the same, they trust you to hear what you have to say. And you know what? You can't determine their response. You really can't. Only they can do that. If they accept, you've gained a friend for eternity. If they refuse, at least they know. At least they know, they've heard it, and they have an an opportunity, and now they're accountable. And hopefully at some point they will respond. Maybe you're just planting the seed, or maybe you're nurturing the seed that somebody else planted, or maybe you're the one that helps take them across the line of faith. But everyone deserves to know. Everyone needs to know who Jesus is, and get the chance to respond. Do you love your neighbor, or your friend, or your family member enough to share Jesus with them. We say we love people, but if we don't share this knowledge, we don't truly love them. Because I think the greatest deterrent to evangelism, actually, is that we don't love them enough to be honest with them. And that's difficult, I know, but is what we're called to do. In Romans chapter 10, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sinned? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, we all have this idea that if people want to know about Jesus, they'll come to church. That's where you talk about Jesus, Right? But the reality is, and more so today than ever, people don't come to church like they should. Not a shattering truth for you today. People don't come to church like they should. People don't know the danger. They don't know they ought to. They don't know where they stand with God. And we know that just coming to church doesn't guarantee that somebody's going to go to heaven, right? It's a relationship with Jesus. And people come to worship because they love Jesus, because they're sold out for him. So we need to understand that it's not just inviting people to church, it's talking about their spiritual status, their relationship with the Lord. And so we warned them for their sake. Not only do we warn them for their sake, we also warn them for Christ's sake, for his sake. Jesus summarized his mission to earth. He said, I'm going to come to seek and save the lost. He thought that was so important that he actually left up every, gave up everything in heaven, his home, his position, everything to come here to the earth for this one purpose, so we need to tell our friends the gospel for Jesus sake to continue his mission on to bring him glory and honor. The last thing Jesus said before he went back into the heaven was a great commission to go and tell. Those who know must tell. So what do we tell them? Maybe that's where you're stuck. You want to tell, what do we tell them? We tell them everybody's a sinner. Not just them, but everybody else, including us. And our sin breaks our relationship with God. And if we die in our sin, we're going to spend eternity without God. We can't save ourselves. We can never do enough. Only Jesus can. And he offers forgiveness to anyone and everyone who accepts his offer. And he invites us to come to him, to receive the gift that he's given us, to accept him as Savior and Lord. Then it's not just the things that we do because there are plenty of good things that we can do, but it's knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him. And we have to invest in them as a friend who cares. This is exactly what Zach was talking about earlier. Not that we're trying to manipulate them or sell them anything, but we're trying to give them something. And we invest in them and then we have the conversation about Jesus, about who he is and their need for him and we help them understand repentance and we invite them to be baptized. Maybe you even do it. I love to see people bring a friend or a family member and baptize them. But help them to see the new life that baptism brings and try to remember what you experienced when you gave your life to Christ and that incredible feeling of Jesus in you and invite them and help them cross the line of faith. So we warn them for Jesus' sake because now we're on mission for him. We're carrying the mission forward. And then thirdly, we warn a friend for our own sake. And this is something that maybe you never thought about. And maybe this is what we need to learn from Ezekiel chapter 33 today, our responsibility. Let me read a couple of those passages from that text again. If the watchman sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people that if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. So if the watchman is alert and he sees the danger and gives a warning, he has done his job, he is innocent of their blood. To know that the blood of all those people outside the gate is on your head, that's a burden, isn't it? But if you do your job and you sound the warning, Then you are innocent of their blood. If they do not respond, their blood is on their own hands. But then he gives the other side. If the watchman fails to warn, he is guilty. But if the watchman sees a sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and rules, takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin, but I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood." What's he saying? He's saying with knowledge comes responsibility. If the watchman says, you know what, I don't want to draw attention to myself and get shot with an arrow by blowing the trumpet, I think I'm going to let it go and save my life and run. If he does that, everybody else that could be in danger is, is, is held to his accountability. Or maybe like us, the watchman says, you know, I don't really want to be rejected. I don't really want to be embarrassed. I don't really want to make them uncomfortable. I think I'm just going to let it go. Then it's on us. If you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, and do not do so. They will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved though. Guys, we are responsible for people's, res- we're not responsible for people's response to the gospel, but we are responsible for sharing it with them. Earlier in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel says, God says, you must speak my word to them, whether they listen or fail to listen. You must speak my word. They got to decide if they want to heed it or not. Because one day I believe that we will give an account to God for the opportunities that we have missed or wasted. And that's a burden that we ought to bear and understand. I'm not saying it's easy because I struggle with it as well maybe more than any of you guys. So I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. We all struggle with this. I think we're more concerned about what people think of us than we are about what God thinks of us. And I'm confident that one day we will regret not sharing Jesus with people. Why? Because I have this gnawing feeling that one day the people that we know and the people that we could have shared Jesus with will look at us as we stand before the judgment throne of God. They're going to look at us, and I'm afraid that they might even be angry with us, that they are lost and we are saved, and we could have stopped that. That bears on us, and it should bear on every one of us. James chapter 5 says, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Definitely their sins And I think that may even speak to ours as well. Not that we're saved by sharing our faith, but it's a responsibility that we have. It is part of faithfully living out the mission of Jesus Christ. Not only is that, sharing is also one of our values here at Journey Church. We have three values, three main values, connecting, growing, and sharing. And sharing is a result of the other two values in our life. As we connect with Jesus and the body of Christ and we grow in our faith, sharing should become natural. But it's something, to be honest, that we're not very good at in our church. We need to work on this. But unfortunately, many believers will never share their faith with anyone. And I'm convinced that one day they will regret it. One day they'll regret it. And so one of the areas that I want us to think about and pray about is if we are going to have no regrets at the end of our life, who are the people in our life that we ought to be sharing with? Who are the people that we know that are outside of Christ? And we don't come down with judgment. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about love. People that we've already have a relationship that we just bring up and we, we kind of move into these conversations because God will give us opportunity to do that. If we are willing, we'll find those. So that we'll know that we have done everything we could to have helped this person come to know Jesus. I heard a story about a famous surgeon, and uh, he was so successful, he was a, a heart surgeon. And interns would come from all around to watch this guy operate, you know, kind of observe from, from up high. And, and one day, after an open-heart surgery, a medical student came in, and, and they asked this doctor, this surgeon, uh, they said, I noticed that when you tied your stitches, that you would tie three knots in every stitch, Three knots. They said, you know, we're taught in medical school that one knot is enough, that you need to get in there, get it tied off, get out as soon as possible. But they said, why did you waste your critical time tying three knots in every stitch? And the surgeon replied to them, you are right, you are taught one, taught one knot is, is enough, and normally it is. But when you're working on the heart, it's one of the most vulnerable and important organs of the body. And he said, at the end of the day, I'm going to look back and I'm going to think uh, how, how tense that was, I'm going to be exhausted and I'm going to go to sleep. And in my sleep, I'm going to replay every action of the surgery in my mind. He says, suddenly, I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm going to wonder, did I tie every stitch really well? Did I, did I tie that critical stitch that might make the difference between life and death? Will this person have a rupture in his heart? And then I'll remember, no, wait, you know, I have a habit of tying not just one, not two, but even three knots in every stitch and then I will go back to sleep knowing that I've done everything possible that I could have done to save his life. And so if anything happens, I'll know it's not my fault. And I would hope that we would have that kind of confidence one day when we stand before our Lord and knowing that we've done everything possible to lead other people to Jesus Christ, not only for their sake because they need Jesus, not only for Christ's sake, because he gave his life for this mission, but also for our own sake that we will never, ever have regrets. So my challenge to you this morning is twofold. First of all, if you are here and you have never given your life to Christ, it's a clear picture of the importance of that. And today is the day of salvation. I'm going to be down front here. I'd love to talk to you about taking your first or your next step For Jesus Christ on your journey. Or maybe you're here as a Christian, and most of us are, and we know people in our life that we need to talk to, no doubt about it. People that we need to pray for that God would open their heart, that God would give us opportunities for that. And sometimes it takes a while. We got to trust God to give us that opportunity. But when He does, are you ready and will you take it? Or will you build a relationship with someone, maybe even to create that opportunity? to be able to share Jesus with them, knowing that you may be the difference between their eternity in hell and their eternity in heaven. The stakes are just that high. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we just come this morning, and Lord, uh, we know that all of us feel insignificant. All of us feel unprepared. God, all of us feel like we're inadequate in a lot of areas, but probably in this one more than anything. Father, for those of us who are serious about our faith, we understand the importance. We know what it's about. We know that when we gave our life to Christ, we went from death to life. And God, we know that one day we're going to stand before you and we're going to be judged. Not just on our goodness and our actions, but more, most importantly on, do we know Jesus? and Have we given our life to him? And Father, all of us undoubtedly know people in our in a sphere of influence that we need to talk to that we need to at least share for, for their sake for your sake for our sake and Lord I pray you would challenge us and Lord make us miserable until we do bear on our hearts and our minds about that that Lord one day we would truly have no regrets and we would join our friends family, neighbor anyone who would respond all who would around the throne in worship not in fear but in worship, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.